Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. I'm here today with Sean Patrick Ryan, the oil knight, yeah. who has written quite a bit for the Cult of Hockey, and we're always glad to have him back. Uh, I really like your take. I, I think I noticed your work just because I thought, you know, I hear someone really sensible talking about Oilers players and uh, often has a really strong uh, take on who's playing well, who isn't, doesn't buy into a lot of the the crazy theories about certain players that are out there. So I, I that's why I came to know your work, Sean, and, and I really started to admire it. Uh, but you're really, it, what where you excel most, I think, is in your um, work uh, writing about covering prospects. So you've been a long time fan of the game. How long have you been writing and scouting prospects for, writing about them and scouting them in, in that regard? Uh, social media, probably five years. Yeah, okay. Line up for yeah independently scouting on my own just for many many years off and on depending on the job that i had at the time but uh kind of really bared down i think and focus on the last five years in particular so you were based in london ontario yes that's correct and and you mainly see the ohl but you you look at all the leagues right yeah so i have access and that's part of the reason why i set up my website i have the ohl package so i get every single ohl game every night right so i try and bring a product to the edmonton market alberta market and just kind of provide insider perspective to that because i'm i can see it every night right so uh you've come out with your list of uh, top 31 prospects and what you you're going to be we're going to have a a post from you uh that's going to run in the cult soon and it's on you three players that you think might really work for the oilers this year in this draft Uh, what i notice about this draft is the unbelievable amount of uh, elite scoring come out of, coming out of the CHL this year, Major major Junior Hockey League. This is the best year uh, for top scoring players out of the Major Junior Leagues in, in at least 20 years. I didn't go back past uh, 2000. I'm doing a post myself on this. And if you're looking for just points per game, just raw Who's putting up the points? And uh, the cutoff for me was 1.4 points per game. Um, This group of players is uh, not by far, but they are the best group. There was a really strong group in 2014. But this is the best group of elite scorers, at least if you go by numbers, um, out of the CHL this century. And there's all kinds of uh, very, very impressive players in your top 31, let's start with something kind of controversial. There's a player called Cole Perfetti. Is that is how you pronounce it? Cole Perfetti? Yep. He's an OHL player. You've seen him a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people, most of the prognosticators, and, and we're going to get to who the Oilers should take in a bit, but we, I just want to go through some of Sean's more controversial opinions first. Sure. Um, you have him rated. He's the consensus. Let me just see. Where is this? He is the consensus seventh overall pick. So what I've done is I've looked at all the major people who rank players. I'm going to add in a few more. Still not completely down my list, but I have about 15 of them. Yeah. People like Corey Pronman, um, Bob McKenzie, Craig Button. And the average mark for Cole Perfetti, when you, when you average it all out, he is ranked seventh overall, just behind Jamie Drysdale and Marco Rossi. And just ahead of Yaroslav Askarov, who's a Russian goalie, and Anton Lundell, who we'll get to, who's a Swedish forward. Yeah. You have Drysdale, number yeah. two, 
um, ahead of Quentin Byfield and uh, the German Tim Stolze, Stutzley, who's been uh, rising up the rankings. And you have Perfetti where, again? Uh, number 17 overall. Okay, so what are you, why, why, what are you seeing? You know, you're sticking your neck out there. Why are you doing that? Well, I'm confident in my analysis, first of all. And okay. I do want to say that, just to clarify, this isn't a mock draft. I can't read the minds of 31 general managers, so I don't even bother doing a mock draft. For me, I do a top 31 list, and it's based on the top 31 prospects. I feel their game translates the best to the NHL and how effective they will be in the NHL. So a lot of times people that just kind of glance over the list, they don't understand that, <clears throat> or they don't take the time to read that. But that's just to clarify, that's what it is. So well, why is that important? So do you because th you're thinking it takes like, you can make the NHL if you have one or two elite skills. It's and, and some, but some players don't have any of those. Maybe so they can't. They have less of a chance, even though they might excel at junior hockey. Is that the thinking? Yeah, somewhat. And I've kind of outlined there in the in the top thirty-one list, the article there. there. There's a lot of things I look for, and I've gone back and I've been doing this for many many years. And I go back. Not only do I go over the um, the draft bus over the last several years, um, I also like to go over old scouting reports, and I kind of comb through them all. And uh, I look for certain trends and certain things that kind of stand out. And I found that over the several years, there are certain things that prospects that don't pan out, they have in common. And I've highlighted those as red flags. So when I do my analysis in Cole Perfetti, for example, there are a few things that come up, those red flags that I see. For example, he's, he's a, I would consider him an, a marginal skater and he has a marginal compete level. And I don't care how smart you are in the NHL or how smart you are in junior and how many points you put up in junior. If you're not a great skater and you don't compete hard, that's not going to translate well to the NHL. So I do have him ranked 17th, which is still, I mean, it, it's a great position. He's still in the first round. And I make it clear that, you know, if he cleans up in those areas, he, he becomes a better skater and more consistent compete level. He could still be an all-star in the NHL. So I'm not, it's not like I'm saying he's not going to make it. But for me, I'm just saying I have concerns there are red flags in his game that I feel like most people are just overlooking. They just assume, okay, well, yeah, but he's really smart and look how many points he put up. So don't worry about it. And I think that's the biggest mistake that a lot of these experts make. And again, going back over the years, I mean, I've seen Sam Bennett scouting report in his draft year and it was flawless. Nothing, nobody highlighted any weaknesses. Same with Neil Yakupov. Everybody looks back now and says, well, he didn't have a great, he doesn't have a great hockey IQ. That's why he didn't make it. But I didn't see that in those initial scouting reports back then. Everybody was just raving how he was the number one guy. So for me, I just try and highlight um, some of the reasons why they might not make it and just kind of give you the full picture because I feel like a lot of these cookie-cutter scouting reports, it's incomplete analysis. Okay. Um, what are some <laughs> of the re other red flags? Like, what are the red flags? What are the major ones? Because I know, like, there's players, like... Arthur Kaleyev, I think that's how you pronounce his name, was yep. someone that, that you were worried about last year. So what are the, some of the comp, is it compete level and skating? Are those the main, are there other uh, major red flags that you constantly, that really get get your attention? For sure. So yeah, Arthur Kaliev, I took a lot of heat last year when I had him late in the first round or, or early second round. I really didn't like his compete level at all. He took shifts off. So so work ethic's a huge thing, work, work ethic slash compete level. Um, if you're not willing to work hard enough in junior, then how hard are you going to work in the NHL when you have millions of dollars already kind of in the bank? So that that's a huge one. And if you can't keep up in today's NHL, skating is definitely an issue. 
Um, consistency is another one. That one's a little bit trickier. Like if guys take shifts off in junior, they just maybe they need to mature more. I don't penalize a player's ranking so much for that. Um, but uh, and then hockey IQ, hockey awareness. I guess that's another big one. You have to you have to have the smarts. Um, guys can be have a ton of skill, but if they're not smart with the puck and they're you know they don't have the great awareness, a lot of times once they get to the NHL, well then we see that that kind of comes out and then they struggle. So is your list like if if you're saying if I was a GM of a theoretical team, not knowing the team needs or anything, but if I was a GM, so you have Dylan Holloway 16, so I would take Dylan Holloway over anyone else below on that list, and then next Cole Perfetti, then I would take him. And then next, I would definitely take Noel Gundler. Like, that's how I would go. Is that what your list is? That, yeah. So basically, my top 31 list, I'm trying to I'm trying to predict a redraft 10 years from now. So 10 okay. years from now, redraft, who would you take in order? This is who I would take in order based on all the things that I kind of highlighted. So that's how I do it. That's why it's different than everybody else's, I think. Okay. Uh, in recent years, you've... Um, been excited, enthusiastic about players like I think uh, Robert Thomas, yep. um, Ty Delandria, and Philip Tomasino, correct? That's correct, yeah. Though so there are three of the players you've liked. Robert Thomas doing well so far. How's Delandria and Tomasino doing since you were, were excited about them? Both okay? Yeah, Tomasino had a monster uh, draft plus one year last year. He was absolutely outstanding. He played for a poor Niagara team, but after that, he got traded to Oshawa and he just absolutely tore it up. He had over 100 points. He was, uh, yeah, he looks he looks like the real deal. And he went 24th overall to Nashville. Uh, Robert Thomas, obviously, he's been a winner at every level, and he can kind of do it all. And Ty Delandria was was the captain for the Flint Firebirds. They were having an awesome season, and uh, everybody was pretty excited for them to see how far they go. He's a Dallas draft pick. And those three, all three of those guys actually have something in common. They all have terrific speed. They all have terrific work ethics. And they all have, of course, you always have to have skill. Um, but they all have great hockey IQs as well. So that's, if you're looking for my prototypical player prospect, you can kind of see it if you just go through those guys. I love smart, fast, uh, skilled players with great work ethics. And that's, I think that kind of shows up in my rankings. So you have this goalie, uh, Yaroslav Askarov, 14th. Would you really take a goalie? Like, I'm just so, I've really bought into that, I guess, not taking a goalie in the first round argument. I'd be yeah. really, really hesitant. Like, honestly, I don't care how well he played. There's all kinds of goalies who play so well in major junior hockey or junior hockey and, and don't make it. And there's other guys who just you never heard of um, who come out of nowhere and grab the starting goalie job. I mean, if you looked at the NHL, 31 goalies starting in the NHL right now, I wonder how many of them were first first round draft picks there's a handful of them obviously but uh, and how many were in the top 15 and i know it's a trend not to draft them for the very reasons that i'm talking about but you would take this guy 14 well keep in mind the top 31 list is is the is my bpa list basically yes so however it doesn't apply to every single team so part of the factor in need right and i think yeah in edmonton's case i probably wouldn't take a goalie and just a an interesting stat. The um, so I just put this out not too long ago. Out of the the top forty goalies in games played this this past season, so we take top forty goalies that played this year. Yeah, well, I think either six or seven were first round picks. That's it, six or seven. The rest. Oh, were all- and the, you did the numbers then. You just did yeah. the numbers. Yeah, it's only yeah. six or seven out of forty this past season. So 
you're right. There's a lot of boss. It's a, there's a lot of risk involved. If I'm Edmonton, I would definitely stay away from a goalie in the first round, but I can, I could definitely see a team take a chance on an Askarov because he has that type of potential, like a Vasilevsky or whatever. And if, if it's a real need for them, then I understand them making the pick. So I think talent wise, he deserves to be where he is. I, I, I guess uh, what you could say is that um, because teams are, know this about goalies now they're less likely to use a first round pick on goalies what would be interesting would be to go look at the expert draft people over the last 10 years see where they've ranked the goalies and see if the goalies they have at the top of the list actually pan out as the nhl goalies as opposed to other guys i think um, we have a bit of a self-fulfilling dynamic here where people aren't going to take goalies in the first round because it's too risky so goalies then don't get taken in the first round who might actually uh Maybe they're going to be undervalued soon, goalies in the in the draft because of because of this dynamic. All right, let's move on to your um, your assessment of three players that you'd be and, and you're a longtime Oilers fan. Three players that you would be excited for the Oilers to get in this draft. They're drafting 20th overall, and again, I'm pretty uh, stoked. There's all of these fantastic attackers, and I'm I'm thinking uh, there's at least nine coming out of the CHL who have 1.4 points per per game this year. And again, they might have other, that's not a ticket to the NHL. You know, even like two thirds of those guys won't become good NHL players, but two thirds of them will. So I'm thinking one of them is going to fall to the Oilers. And uh, one of the, one of those players is actually is on your list and that's Dawson Mercer. So let's start with him. What do you think of, um, what did he get this year? What was his points per game? It was pretty darn, it was, I think it was right around the 1.4 level. Why do you think that he might fall to uh, Edmonton? Well, it's a combination of reasons. I think, first of all, like you said, somebody's going to fall. It has to be somebody. Um, so kind of looking at the list, um, one thing I wanted to mention or I wanted to point out is the, um, I heard on your previous podcast, you had all these different lists you were kind of comparing to and trying to figure out who would go where. Yeah. One, one list that I really like to use is the NHL Central Scouting. That's yeah. on the NHL.com. So last year, for example, they had, um, so out of the top 20 picks, they had, 12 of the 13 forwards, five of the six defensemen, and their top goalie, they all went in the in the top 20. So basically their top 18 went in the top 20. Um, so I think that's kind of a good indicator. And even some of the other ones were were pretty close. I guess Kaliav was the only guy that really dropped. But again, I kind of expected that. Um, so I kind of use that as my, as my guide. Okay. And, and looking at that, I've actually got it up here. So they had um, Mercer ranked as the 10th best North American forward right ahead of Jarvis. Um, I feel like Jarvis is kind of going to jump him uh, because he's younger and he's got a, a little bit more speed. And I feel like NHL teams will, will rather take a chance on Jarvis over Mercer. So Seth Jarvis would be a great fit for the Oilers, but I just don't think he's going to be available. Um, so bad. that's why Mercer's going to drop a little bit. Um, plus, he's older and he was banged up a bit. And he didn't have the greatest production when he got traded to Shakutami. I think he struggled a little bit with consistency. Just kind of, it's just... It's just a guess more than anything. Again, we don't know what's going on in the mind of these these NHL GMs, right? But I just have a hunch based on, you know, Robert Thomas, who you mentioned. I, I loved him, thought he was a top 10 player. He went 20th. Um, I love Philip Tomasino, thought he was a top 10 player. He went 24th. So Mercer's kind of my guy, and I kind of feel like we might get lucky here, and he might actually slip to number 20. So that's why I've got him listed there. All right, now and I'm in uh, Team Mercer. I like, and I have to be honest about my like, and I, I've said this before. I don't watch these players. I don't know anything about them. 
My yeah. my opinion on these players means absolutely zero. And I want to make that clear to anyone listening to this podcast that I, I have no idea who the order should take or who is the better player on this list, uh, whether it's whether it's Connor Zary or Maverick Bork or Jack Quinn or Dawson Mercer. No idea. All right. Um, I do want to ask you about Jack Quinn, though, because Bruce was kind of stoked about him because of his point scoring. And and I just saw one little indicator that had me a little bit worried and that he's on a he was on a pretty damn good team. And that always has me worried when there's um, a number of really good players coming out of, because not all of them, you'll see one of them turns out and the other two don't, right? That's how it seems to be a pattern when you have these really strong junior teams that are that are scoring. And the big example to me is Patrick Kane, San Gagne. San Gagne's scoring as a major junior prospect yep. was absolutely off the charts more than two points per game for a, for a kid born in, in August, right? Like he's a late birthday and, he, and he's scoring like that. You think, wow, this guy is going to be an 80, you know, a point a game player in the NHL. Didn't turn out that way, obviously. But Jack Quinn, what do you think? Because well, he's got G- that dynamic. Yeah. Well, with Gagne and Kane, of course I'm in London, right? And I got to watch them a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Gagne would played with Patrick Kane. So I think Patrick Kane was kind of the driver and, and Gagne <laughs> was beneficiary of that uh, a lot. But in Jack Quinn's case, and one thing I'm not sure if everybody's aware of, but Jack Quinn didn't play with Marco Rossi even strength. Right. So that's that's a huge thing. A lot of people think of the you know the stats are inflated because he played with Rossi, but he didn't. So um, he was driving that second line. I think he's he's got a lot of natural scoring ability, and it, it's weird because he kind of came out of nowhere. Like he's never really been even a minor midget, and all the way through, and even last year in Ottawa, he wasn't he wasn't the the big dynamic scorer, like he's never really had those tendencies, but he grew a ton over from last season to this season. He got bigger, he got stronger, he got faster, and he sort of just kind of developed physically. And then he had that confidence and he just, just took off. Right. So I am a little bit leery just because he's had that one big season and he is on a really good team. But if you kind of break it down, I mean, he scored an insane, I think it was 34 even strength goals, not playing with Marco Rossi. He can really drive the play. He's a confident player. I did compare him to Kyle Connor. I do see a lot of similarities in those two. I think he's going to score in the NHL level. He's got the speed to, to, to keep up. And the rest of his game, like compete level and all that <laughs> foot game, it's it's all there too. So You got um, him at 11, I see. So you, you're you're liking this player. You have, you have him ahead of Dawson Mercer even. Uh, Dawson Mercer even. So uh, Yeah, very, uh, very close for me. Okay. Let's go to the player they actually have ahead of both those guys. Uh, a very interesting player because he played half the year in Europe and then came over and played in North America, Jan Mysak, who played in Hamilton uh, to end the year and uh, 25 points in 22 games. What do you think of Jan Mysak? Obviously, you like him if he's number 10 on your list, but uh, and you'll be happy if he falls to the Oilers. And it, and it looks like he might in the consensus rankings. Just give me a second here. Uh, Jan Mysak ranks 23rd so uh jack quinn who we talked about is uh 14th and mercer is 11th so go ahead what do you think of jan mysak why why are you excited about him well first of all i don't i don't mean to correct you but if he is going to be an order i guess we should probably make sure we pronounce his name correctly it is well, that's it, okay it is Jan. It's Meshach. 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 All right. Yeah. But he's, um, yeah, he's an exciting player. And it, 
it's funny on Twitter. There's a lot of people that are really high. There's a lot of people that are really high on him, and there's a lot of people that think he's overrated. So, uh, for me, I've got to see him a lot, seen him live a few times, and he's uh, there's a lot to like about his game. He's uh, he's got a, a nice mix of speed, skill, and power, and he put on weight there. I think the last last six months or so, he's really kind of bulked up. He's a little bit taller now, and He's, he's kind of coming into his own physically, and he really just, he stepped into Hamilton and played like a boss. Like, there was no transition period where it took a while for him to adjust the North American game. Like you said, he came over from the Czech Republic, and then in January there, he came over, and he just he just started lighting it up immediately. Uh, I really like the fact that he, he can play center of the wing. He can play penalty killer or power play. He's got a great work ethic, but he's got that high-end skill. Um, he, can, he can dangle you. He can adjust speeds really well. He just has great command of the ice. And it, I, I think I mentioned in my write-up there, he, his game is very reminiscent of Thomas Hurdle for sure. He mm-hmm. looks a, like Thomas Hurdle, But there's a lot of, if you if you watch closely enough, <clears throat> there's a lot of hints of dry sidle in his game, just where he, he kind of lowers that shoulder and he just, you know, he kind of drives hard and he's... Just the puck protection. The puck protection, and, and but just the, the poise and the command on the ice too. Like he makes the reads that not everybody sees. And uh, yeah, he's a very capable player. Like the sound of that. I like the sound of that. He's a sleeper. The Oilers really are going to have a chance here. Like even though they're drafting 20th and the 20th pick, what is it? Usually it has maybe a, I don't know, I'm just guessing here, estimating one in three chance of being a, a very good NHL player, one in four chance of being a very good NHL player. Mm-hmm. This year, I'm be- I, it feels like more like you're, you, instead of the 20th pick overall, we have the 10th pick overall in a normal draft. Is that is that fair comment? Like, is that where is that how good this draft class is? I think so. Yeah, there there's some people that say it's it's top heavy, and after the top ten, it really dropped. But for me, um, of course, I've got certain guys ranked in those teens and twenties that most people don't. I, there's a ton of depth there. I think the the Oilers are going to get a fantastic player. It's going to be a forward. That's where they're going to focus on after taking defensemen back to back the last couple of years. Uh, but yeah, especially the OHL and just the CHL in general, as you mentioned, it's really, really strong this year. Well, let's just wait here. Let's just go through who. So the top 10, it's interesting because the players in the top, uh, excuse me, the top nine, mm-hmm. um, excuse me, the top eight, the top eight in this draft, there's just broad consensus yeah. um, on who the top eight are. And very few people uh, of the main people ranking them will have anyone in that top eight outside of their top eight. They might move them in order. But there's just massive consensus, including on Perfetti, that he he belongs there. And but after that, after that, so that going from number nine on, there's Askarov, uh, Anton Lundell, Dawson Mercer, Connor Zary, Jake Sanderson, Jack Quinn, Dylan Holloway, Noel Gundler, Rodion Amirov, Maverick Bork, Seth Jarvis, Caden Gooley, Caden Gooley. Jeremy Poirier, Hendricks Lapierre, and Jan Misak. So we have, you know, and that's that takes you right to 23. The orders are getting one of those players. Now you might not be enthusiastic about the, that second group, but man, they're like like certain players in that second group. But as a group, that's a pretty impressive second group of players. Like a lot of these players in normal years, they would go in the top. They would definitely go in the top 10 with them out there scoring. Yeah. Um, like... There's like someone like Jack Quinn. He probably would have gone in the top ten last year. Yeah. Um, maybe 
who knows where Seth Jarvis is going to end up. Dawson Mercer might have. Like, you just, like, a lot of these players seem like they would be top 10 forwards in many other seasons. Yeah, there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of high end skill right up. I would almost argue even, you know, 25 and almost the entire first round. Now, there's, as you mentioned, there's a couple of guys in there I wouldn't touch. But for the most part, yeah, it's it's a and and there's a lot of other guys we haven't mentioned in the second round that have the ability to the skill that they could easily be in the first round. So I'm I'm pretty excited. The Oilers are going to get a a legit forward here. You don't think they're going to get Rodi on Emirave? Eh? You think he's going to go? Like, there's some teams that seem to like Russian players. Yeah. You don't think the Oilers are going to get him? You I, you think highly of him, but well, I do. Well, I mean, typically Edmonton doesn't have a. Uh, a real success with Russian players. I don't know if it's Brizgalov warning everybody it's really cold up there or, or what it was, but uh, Ken Holland, Ken Holland does have a, a good history with Russian players. So that's one thing to yeah. consider. Um, and Amirov plays, I mean, he's a beast on the puck and he, he's, he plays a power game and he's got a lot of skill. Um, I would be excited if he was an Oiler. He kind of almost reminds me a bit of Svechnikov in that way. But I know a lot of Oilers fans, just based on the history, they probably wouldn't wouldn't be overly enthusiastic about that pick. But I would be on board for sure if they did take him. I just think he'll be gone before 20 as well. So you have Anton Lundell. We'll get to your last uh, recommendation, Tyson Forster, in a second. You have Anton Lundell, um, 31st, I believe, on your list. Yeah. Um, why? So everyone else, he's he, the, the lowest he's ranked is 16th by Corey Pronman and Button. Craig Craig Button and Corey Pronman that both have him at 16th, and that's the lowest. So why do, you, why do you have that lack of enthusiasm for this player, comparative lack of enthusiasm? Yeah, well, it all goes back to the red flags, right, and what I kind of look for. And for me, if, if I were to ask a question and say, who at all the, all the prospects, all 31 prospects, consensus that are ranked in the first round, who would you consider as the worst skater of the 31? And I think it would be a consensus that Anton Lundell would be voted as the worst. And for me, that's just, I can't overlook that. As, as smart as he is and as savvy as he is, and he, you know, he, he offers a lot of uh, two-way playmaking ability, I just, I, I can't get past the skating for me. He would have to improve a lot for me to even consider taking him, you know, even 15 or 16. I just, I, I can't do it, right? So that's why I've, I've put him at 31 because he does have a lot of, things that he offers there is a lot of skill and like i said it's he's uh he can play two ways and you know he's got a great feel for the game um, but he's also an older 2001 pick as well and or 2001 birth date and the skating is just not for me so i don't see the offensive upside and i don't see the uh the skating translating well at all too much anton lander and anton lundell's game yeah maybe not quite <laughs> the skill as as uh lundell with lander but uh yeah very similar okay fair enough uh, let's talk about Tyson Forster. You 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 also you have him ranked 19th on your list, I believe. Uh, why would you be excited about him being an Oiler? I got to be honest. I love Tyson Forster. Um, I was on the bandwagon early. He he's another guy that just kind of developed over the over the summer. He got a, he got bigger, he got stronger, and he got more confident. Typically in, in minor midget, and even last year, he wasn't known as a big scorer. He was more of a playmaker kind of playmaking center. They switched him to the wing, and uh, his shot has improved incrementally. I guess <laughs> it's uh, it, it's amazing how how well he can shoot the puck at this point. And I just like the fact that he 
he brings it every single night. He's a great kid. He's got a great work ethic, and he's got a legit NHL shot on top of uh, some underrated underrated playmaking ability as well. So he's he's a real nice player for me. So has, has his shot increased? Is it improved incrementally or incredibly? I think or both. I think both. <laughs> yeah. Now it's incredible. In, uh, yeah. Like, inc- go ahead. Is that, sorry. Is that right? Incrementally? Incredibly? Incrementally means slowly improving, and then it be, could be incredible at the same time in the end. So. Yeah. Well, it just got better and better. So. Yeah, either, incrementally. Yeah. Either way, uh, it's, it's just so deadly, like so accurate now. And he led the OHL in power play goals. He's that right shot, right winger that the Oilers don't have. Like we've got Maximoff and, and Lavois kind of, you know, coming up, but. Forsters, he's a lot like them, but he's even better. Like he just, he kind of offers a little bit more. And uh, I, I just think he would be a great fit for the team. And you put him with Dreisaitl or McDavid, especially on the power play, it's, I think it would just be a match made in heaven. So which of the, um, which of the draft, the major people who rank the draft players, drafted players and have been writing about it for some time, are there any that you have that you think you see the game like they do, that, that you tend to have the same enthusiasms for players and the same, trepidation about players other players that you have uh yeah there's some play- they're not well known though i think all the okay uh, sometimes i feel like the mainstream guys i feel like they're afraid to kind of put their neck out there a little bit and yeah there are more consensus i mean buttons he he takes some real risks on his but uh i think for the most part they're more underrated guys that people aren't really noticed too too much that are on twitter i think those are the ones i kind of lean towards for me, it's nobody. Nobody likes what I put out. <laughs> Everybody. I like it. it. I like yeah. it. Uh, Button, like for, I can see what you're saying. Like Button has Alexander Holtz at number thirteen, way different than most of the other. You know, way lower than most of the other Raiders, and he has Anton Landell at sixteen again, which is way lower than the other ones. Yeah. Because when like the difference between the difference between eighteen or excuse me, like the difference between twenty and twenty five mm-hmm. turns that's not that much. But the difference between five and ten, that's huge. Yeah. Like in terms of NHL, both NHL potential, the possibility the player will become a, a good NHLer. So that, like it gets steeper the, the further you go up that hill. And um so Button really has gone out on quite a quite a island on Anton Lundell. And uh and also even more so on Holtz, having him at thirteen. What do you think of Holtz? I love Holtz. Yeah. You do, eh? Yeah, I, I see him as a 40-goal scorer in the NHL. He's uh, he's he's playing with men in, in Swedish league, and he, he looks like he's he's fit in great, and he's uh, he plays a very pro-style game, and he's just he's probably the best goal scorer in in the league or in the uh, in this draft, including Jack Quinn. I, I just think he is a uh, a lot of goal scoring potential, and that's going to translate well. Alrighty, before we sign off, let's just quickly go through uh, uh, if you can recall, and you probably can, what you thought of some of the orders recent picks in recent years when they were taken. Sure. Um, so uh, let's start with um, with uh, Baron, Baron Jones. Did you have much thought on them at all? Did you know that their games very well when they were taken? I did not, to be honest. No, I didn't, okay. I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of the WHL. That, was, that year was all McDavid. It was all about McDavid there. And fourth and fifth round picks, eh, whatever. We don't have a second or third. I don't, it's all McDavid that year. How were you on Debrinket and Strom that year? What did you think of those two guys? I was not in Camp Strom. I have to admit, I just, I just was had saw some. The skating was a big issue for me, 
So I, I, I was worried that he might not become a really good NHL player, and he still might. He's, he's shown flashes. What did you think of Stroman Dabrinkit? And I honestly wasn't on team Dabrinkit either, if I'm completely honest. I was a little bit worried about his uh, speed. But um, go ahead. Well, I love Dabrinkit. I was I was pushing him pretty hard. I know a lot of Oilers fans were as well. I yeah. got to see him a lot, obviously. I just loved his compete his compete level. He just never stopped. He was He wasn't a great skater, but he was good enough, in my opinion. And he just, he made up for it with quick feet and just aggressiveness and compete. Like he, he, he was a fun kid to watch for sure. Um, as far as, as far as Strom goes, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of his skating, but I recall a lot of people, a lot of experts saying at the time that he was a little bit raw and he, he certainly had that feeling. He was going to, he was going to be a longer, uh, he was going to be a long-term player that you had, you had to give several years for it to develop. Right. And I, I kind of feel like, and this is a completely different topic, but I feel like the um, the CHL rules where you have to play four seasons or be 20 years old um, before you can go to the AHL. I feel like it really hurt a guy like Ryan or uh, Dylan Strom because he um, he lit it up in his draft year and then he was forced to go back to the OHL and it's like okay that's fine tore it up again didn't make the Coyotes. You'd love to see him in the AHL at that point, but he was forced to go back to the OHL once again for his draft plus two year and I feel like that kind of hurt his development a little bit. And I really wish that they would have kind of made that adjustment and maybe, and even for Bouchard and guys like Lavoie as well, I would have loved to see them in the AHL, for example, um, after the draft year, but that never happened. So for Strom, yeah, he was raw. Um, his skating needed work, but I'm, I'm still, I'm still somewhat optimistic. He could still be a, a, a decent uh, NHL player. Yeah. He, he really showed signs last year, a year ago in Chicago. Okay, the year, the Pugliarvi year, I mean, now that year I was a huge fan of two players from the OHL, uh, Matthew Kachuk and, and Mikhail Sergachev. And, and again, I was dropping in and watching players. I've given up on that because I realized it's just, it's a fool's game to watch a player for three or four games and, and try to have an assessment. So I've actually completely backed away from any kind of rating the players myself. Yeah. And I, but that year I did. And I, and I liked, so I liked Sergachev and I liked, um, Kachuk, and I didn't like Ole Uolevi, but I also didn't like Pierre-Luc Dubois. So, you know, I just, I didn't know anything, <laughs> essentially. Well, and that, that's fair. I mean, for me, see, one of, one of the benefits for me is I live in London, right? So yeah. it's, it's like an NHL machine. Like they just, they, they're pumping out NHL players all the time. So I get to see these guys literally 40 times, 50 times a year at least. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a little bit more information typically than than a lot of other people. And again, that's kind of why I do my website and why my name's the Oil Knight, the Oilers in the Night, um, yeah. because I, I have access to that. So for me, yeah, I was all in on Matthew Kachuk that year as well. I don't like his antics in the NHL now. I wish he would tone it down a bit, but I thought he was the perfect fit for the Oilers. I think yeah. Or it's kind of funny if the Oilers did end up taking Kachuk, would they have even bothered to sign Milan Lucic? Because Kachuk kind of brought a lot of that anyways. Right? Might have been one of the reasons they were not interested in Kachuk is they knew Lucic was coming. Like they, they had had in mind, they're probably going to get Lucic. And who knows? Like it's it's that's it's a big moment in Oilers history. It was a huge mistake, obviously, to, to trade for Lucic. And and probably not to take to take RV over Kachuk was, a, was you know, we can see now as a mistake. What did you think? Of, I, I didn't know anything about RV at the time. I, I was delighted, you know, because he was such a top pick consensus top pick that he fell to the Oilers yeah. but what did you think of him at the time I just saw limited viewings of him I thought yeah. he was number three and uh and I said if he didn't go number three if if 
Yarmo passed on him, then I probably didn't want him anyways. But again, much like McDavid the previous year, I was 100% all in with Kachuk. So I didn't care. I wanted Kachuk. That was the perfect fit for McDavid. (laughs) He was such a beast in junior hockey, Matthew Kachuk. He really was. Like, he was so skilled and so forceful and smart with the puck. Like, he just had everything. Like, his skating, he wasn't super fast. But other than that, everything you want in a hockey player, he had as a hockey player. And I just didn't understand that. I really like Sergachev, though, and I would have been happy if they had drafted Mikhail Sergachev as well. So... Yeah, well, it's funny. A lot of people at the time, I remember fighting with people on different blogs and that before I had my own site. And a lot of people that just tuned into the Memorial Cup, for example, just like you say, you'd never just judge a book by a couple of games. Uh, people are tuning in and they thought Matthew Kachuk was slow, but he played on a sprained ankle the entire Memorial Cup and he was still one of the best players. I kept trying to highlight that. Like he's injured and he's still dominating. People yeah. are skating. Whatever. Uh, but I don't take credit for liking Matthew Kachuk because, again, I didn't like Pierre-Luc Dubois too much. So, and he's turned out to be a pretty good NHL player. All right, uh, Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, did you have any thoughts on him when he was drafted by the Oilers? Did you had you seen his game much? Yeah, and I still have the same thoughts. Um, I thought he was a dynamic player. Loved his work ethic. There was skill. It made a it made a ton of sense. I was just worried, and I still am worried that his rugged style of p- play, given his light frame, is going to lead to injuries. Um, I, if he stays healthy, he's going to be a fantastic goalie for a long time, but I still worry. He just, uh, he takes too much punishment just the way he is. And, you know, we see other guys like Gallagher and Konechny, they get banged up a lot too. Same, similar style. I just worry about the injuries. That's it. Otherwise he's a, he's a phenomenal talent and he's, uh, yeah, he was a good selection for sure. Uh, also drafted that year where, uh, uh, some players that, you know, pretty well, uh, Maximov and Samarukov. Uh, that you've uh, that uh, you had watched a lot, and uh, you were pretty happy with the team getting both of those players, were you, were you not? Yeah, Samarukov, I was a little kind of on the fence. He had a lot of raw tools. I understood the pick. There were other guys I would have preferred at that spot, but um, I understood for sure why they took him. And and then Maximov, kind of the same thing. He was really raw as well. He was taken fifth round in that, but it was uh, two guys that definitely had a lot of upside, and I was excited about. Ryan McLeod, what did you think of him? Uh, Ryan McLeod, much like Raphael Lavoie, uh, both of them in their in their draft years, I had them as guys I would stay away from. I didn't. Uh, there were red flags with both of their games, and I think it was more consistency. And I guess in, in McLeod's case, he was more of a perimeter player for me. I didn't really like. He kind of had a lack of compete a little bit. He could skate for miles, but he would skate around. The, you know, the, the peripheral, right. He didn't get dirty enough for me. And I kind of worried about the, the compete level a bit there. And then, uh, yeah, same thing with Lavoie. It's more the skating and decision-making. Um, but yeah, so those two guys, when they dropped to the second round, I know a lot of people were excited because they consider them first round talent, but if, if a first round talent drops, drops to the second round, I don't necessarily see that as a good thing. I would rather take a guy that was anticipated to go second or third. And now they're just, he's more of a sleeper and they take him a little bit higher up just because it's uh, you're taking them because of their positives, not happy that they drop because of their negatives. Yeah. Anything that you've seen from McLeod or Lavoie since then have changed your mind at all, or are you still kind of in the same spot with the same kind of questions? Same questions with Lavoie. Uh, he definitely needs to get the a- get into the AHL and kind of adjust his game a bit uh, more consistency. I want to see a up his compete level for sure. McLeod, much like Maximoff and Samarukov, I think they were kind of eased in slowly this year. 
uh, in Bakersfield. I, I definitely think they're going to get much more opportunity next year. McLeod in particular, he was kind of bounced around line to line, center and wing. He didn't really um, kind of find his game. I think he was because he was kind of moved around the, the lineup a lot. But I did like his compete level a bit more. I thought he got a little bit uh, dirtier and grittier and, you know, he was he was battling a little bit more. So there's positive signs there for sure. I still question his offensive upside if he's, you know, if he's ever going to be anything. No, more. he's not. Yeah. Uh, I like the compete at least. So that's that was a good sign. It's funny when I'm, I watch the AHL games, I know that you watch a lot of them too. I, I, I think I probably watched, I don't know, 10 to 15 this year. And I, and I, who knows, may still watch some more of them, go back and watch some more. When I'm watching these games and I, and I see players like McLeod and uh, any of Samarukov, and I just think all you have to do is just try a, just this much harder. And yeah. you could make ten million dollars, or twenty million dollars, or thirty million dollars. And do you do you know that? Does he do you understand that at your age, that all it's going to take is for you to be this much tougher, this much more intense, this much more driving every single shift, and you could make twenty or thirty million dollars. And I sometimes I think they never they don't see like they don't get it right because they're a little they're caught in they're young and they're caught in the middle of it and they're they're uh, they think they're trying as hard as they can try. Yeah. And does that make sense to you? Like that's that when I watch so many HL players, they just like, just play a little bit nastier with a bit more edge and you can make the NHL. Yeah. Well, I think you actually brought that up the last, last time we had podcast. Yeah. That thing. I, I, I get it. One. And the thing is, I mean, you, you can, what do they say? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. And some guys that's just, if that's the way they've been playing for, 18 years well i guess not 18 say you know 13 12 13 years their hockey career all the way up through the ranks um it's hard to kind of teach them new tricks right like you can tell work harder and get grittier like you, you can try and push them but if it's not in their dna if that's just not who they are then uh yeah then i mean what are you gonna do right indeed and, but maybe it is and maybe we'll see this from all of these players i mean uh, i was not unhappy with the year that any of those three players had in the HL in their first year. I thought they all played well enough to, to, to justify they were taken in the draft and certainly that, and, and to give me hope that they can, you know, we saw a huge improvement with Ethan bear and Caleb Jones from their first to second years in the NHL this coming year for all those, those three guys, huge years though, for each of them. Let's just finish off with uh, Bouchard and, and uh, Philip Broberg. Um, I watched Bouchard in the AHL this year, and I was really happy, really happy with what I saw. I just thought he's coming on, he's taking command, he's skating with the puck more. Um, he's he's his defense is a little bit stronger. He's getting a little bit better uh, fundamentally, just making sure to physically get his body in the way of the guy going to the net, um, and 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 cutting down on the gap. What did you see with Bouchard? Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, he's he's. We talked about this a couple of years ago when he was drafted. That patience was needed for him defensively. There were wards, yeah. and he's made the strides. Um, the offense is going to be there. I think we all know that he's going to be the number one power play quarterback eventually. Um, but we don't want to throw him into the water when he's not ready. And like a Justin Schultz, and then all of a sudden he starts defensive gaff after defensive gaff, and everybody starts ripping on him. Then the pressure and all that, right? So I like the approach that Kenny Holland's taking, and uh, it's nice that the team has the defensive depth enabled so they can actually do it right um but yeah he's taking a lot of strides the puck retrievals have been great 
gap control. He's got better at that. Like you said, he's, he's never going to be a real physical guy, but as long as he just kind of gets in the way a little bit, just kind of rubs them out of the play, that's good enough. Right. Uh, so yeah, he had, he had, a yeah, he had a, he had a big year for me overall in his game. And I, I think it's going to be really tough to keep him off the roster whenever this season does this next season does start. You know, Clefbaum, for instance, isn't a really huge physical player. Like he's not, he doesn't drive people into the boards. He doesn't go for the big hits, but he he, he gets the job done physically. And if yeah. Bouchard can up his game to Clefbaum's level, and it's taken Clefbaum a while actually to get there, where yeah. he's consistently able to play the man, take the man, block the guy going to the net. He struggled with that for a while in the at the NHL level, but he's finally got getting that down. And I, I could see Bouchard having the same kind of development as a defender but being quite a bit ahead of Clefbaum in terms of offensive play uh, earlier on in his career. So um, the last guy is Broberg. Um, I didn't see him play. I've hardly ever seen him play. I've seen him play a few all-star games in the summer, I think, um, and was was very impressed with his skating. I also note that his coach in Sweden, which is a good sign, just was raving about his uh, ability and his talent level, and he, and he got a reasonable, uh, a reasonable amount of playing time in the men's league in Sweden. He was playing about 14 to 15 minutes a game. They've lost at least one player, Berglund, they've lost uh, to another team. So he might even step up into the top four next year if he stays in Sweden, which I think is likely. What do you think of him now and that pick? As far as the pick goes, I wasn't a huge fan of it at the time. Um, I really wanted the team to take it forward. And for me, uh, Broberg, I did have in the 20s on my top 31 list. I, I think he's a promising player for sure. Um, he's got a lot of similar skills to Darnell Nurse where he's not as physical as him but um puck moving he can carry the he can carry the puck out of the zone and he's got that good straight ahead speed and that um I don't see him as a top pair defenseman I think Bouchard kind of offers you more of that top pairing uh potential I think Broberg will probably be a safe second pair defenseman um so is it worth it to take a second pair defenseman with the 10th overall was it 10th 10th overall uh 8th yeah 8th is that really worth it? In terms of value, I don't see that. So that's why I kind of disagreed with it a little bit. Um, but I still think he's a promising prospect for sure. And I think he will have an impact at some point. So would you have taken Tomasino at that point? <laughs> well, I probably would have been, I don't know if I would have been fired at that point. And anybody would have agreed me within the organization. But if I put that hat on and uh, went by everybody else's board, because you have to incorporate all your scouts when you do yeah, yeah. I probably would have took Cole Caulfield because he was the, the dynamic score that would be a good compliment, kind of like the brink would be a, a nice compliment to McDavid in that. And and Cole Caulfield certainly had a pretty good year, a very good year in uh, um, college hockey, university hockey in the United States this year. He was a point of game player in a very difficult league. So, yeah. Alrighty. Well, thanks for thanks for chipping in and thanks for talking. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, it's great. I love talking hockey. Alrighty. Thanks, Sean. Anytime. And in the meantime. And in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.